0: Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 177 for January 1st, 2009. SSL. TDPs, and Ultra Caps. Security Now is brought to you by to Be a nerd.com The Nerds on Site team of IT professionals is looking for nerds with all competencies and skills. Go to www.IWantToBeANerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting today. And by Audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, Visit audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Happy New Year! It's 2009 fitting. The first podcast of the new year would be the podcast that never sleeps, that never rests. Steve Gibson's Security Now. Hi, Steve. That never misses a beat. Hey, Leo, it's great to be with you. You are now officially ahead of Twit. Uh, You're doing very well. 177 episodes. Did, you have, yes, good, did you have a good Every holiday? time I hear those Dick Bartolo episode I numbers, I just... In the 700s! T- yeah. That's what happens when you do it every day. You wouldn't want to do this show every day, would you? Uh, no, we can't do this every day. It could be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd have an audience. Well, yeah. how are you? Did you have a good Christmas? Had a great Christmas. Uh, had a little bit of a
1: fall in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. Uh, sort of... Uh, somehow blackened my my left eye, even though it doesn't hurt, everything's fine. And I, and I came down with the Christmas cold that, uh, from hell, uh, it's, yeah. it's been really nasty. So I apologize in advance if I unconsciously sniffle or make, you know, annoying audio sounds. I will work not to do that for the next uh, hour or so. Well, and I'll charge um, Tony Wang, our our brilliant editor, with cutting out well, if I do a big sneeze, we could cut that <laughs> All out. Starfles will be so, gone. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work to do that. But uh, we have a, a very special episode this week. Um, it was exactly 13 weeks ago, episode 164, where we bumped our regularly scheduled Q and A to talk about sock stress. Oh, yes, which was you know this you know is the internet going to come down? Is, is is TCP broken? All that stuff. And we said, well, no, but it's interesting. And so here's what it says. So that changed the the parity of the episodes, uh, you know, the even and oddness of the episodes where we do the Q and As. We're going to do that again because there's been a huge amount of news caused by a a disclosure only a couple days ago of a essentially a an exploit in a known weakness that involves the authentication of SSL, mm. our favorite um, uh, security protocol for the internet. Um, secure socket layer is what SSL, of course, stands for. But even before that happened, um, I had written to you with my intention to talk about two things that were not security related that I just, I'm passionate about them both. I, I wanted to share this with our listeners. Also, there's some listener involvement because there's a, a possibility of building a certain type of kit that I will talk about that would be available for like the last time ever on Earth. This could happen as a consequence of a particular chip that became available. Well, so
0: <laughs> you a, really got me intrigued. A bunch of stuff. This is very intriguing. All
1: right. Yeah. I so it's, I, 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 it's going to be a fantastic episode. We also, since we haven't been live for three weeks because yeah. we had to pre-record, we've got a whole bunch of security stuff. So I've just got tons of stuff to talk about and some yeah. really. Interesting things, and finally, um, the the last thing that are, that happened was a patent was granted on December sixteenth, t- Tuesday, a couple of weeks ago, on th- that discloses as patents must the fabrication details of a breakthrough energy storage technology, oh, which boy.
0: potentially obsoletes batteries. That would be huge. It's the it's the one breakthrough I've been kind of Saying if you could pick one, yes. you know this is the one because this is our, all of our portable devices are right now hobbled by the inefficiency of batteries. Well, and yes, the lifetime, the cycle length, the yeah. charging time. Th- this
1: technology, a so-called ultracapacitor, just makes it makes so much sense because useful it, for uh, autos as well. You think? Well, it, that that's the, the primary target was for for the whole uh, hybrid um, auto market. However, it's completely scalable. So, and it changes everything. I mean, you imagine a laptop that first of all in with the same size of battery could give you three times the life for the same size and weight. But because this is a capacitor, when it when it begins to run down, you plug it in, count to 5 and unplug it. It
0: literally <laughs> charges in 5 seconds. I love that. It changes everything. It does. Oh, this is exciting. So, we've got lots to talk about. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. Before we uh, get too far down the road, I do want to mention our great friends at Nerds On a nerd.com. It's a long URL, but I want you to go there because when you go there, you could sign up for a nerds-only meeting in your neck of the woods. Actually, I think they use a go-to-meeting to do this. So, you could do it anywhere, anytime. Let me tell you a little bit about what Nerds On Site is. It's, a, uh, it's kind of hard to describe. And, and, and I don't want to misdescribe uh, it. Let me just put it, call, t- say it's a team of IT professionals, people who work in the IT business. And that is a very broad uh, scope, too. I mean, PC, Mac, of course, Cisco, uh, Oracle, if you're a fix-it technician, if you're a website designer, a programmer, a project manager, if you're in sales, if you do training, of course, I know a lot of security experts listen. Absolutely, you count I virus gurus. If you're focusing especially, they're really looking for people focusing on the small and medium-sized businesses, the SMEs. It's the, this is the biggest growing market sector right now. Nerds are independent contractors. You remain so. It's your business. You're in business for yourself. The key is you're not in business by yourself. Nerds on site lets you focus on your passion, not the burdens of running a business. They're all over the world: Canada, the U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, India. They started in Canada. In fact, that's where you and I both met some uh, met some nerds. You in Toronto, me in Vancouver. Uh, they uh, also have a University of Nerdology. So, <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to go to Hamburger U because I worked at McDonald's. Well, now you can go to the University of Nerdology to tone up and build up at your skills in all of the facets of IT. Uh, but you know, one of the things, for instance, these nerds tell me is you, know, you get stuck. You can call in another nerd in in another competency and help you out. Uh, they help you build your business. Find out more. I want to be a nerd dot com. I want to be a nerd dot com and register for a nerds only meeting today. Nerds on site. We love them. We know you will, too. So, Steve, should we no. do? I mean, we can't. Uh, uh, where do we start here? We have uh, we haven't we haven't talked in so long. Yeah, I know. Um, well, we'll, e- well I exercise some discipline, although
1: I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this.
0: You want to talk about your non- batteries.
1: <laughs> some, yeah, non-security stuff.
0: Um, but we got to cover a bunch of security stuff. Well, I tell you, uh, I sp- saw this. Sp- I saw I saw a, a, an image, I can't remember which magazine it was, with a Microsoft certificate saying the name of my bank issued by, you know, like hacker.com. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? Yes. Um, throughout today's...
1: Uh, episode i'll be referring to the show notes for for this week um they're they're always accessible where they always are which is grc.com slash security now and then for episode one seventy seven one of the little icons there will take you to the show notes but because I expect so many people are going to want to get to that page i use i created a little snip url shortcut for it so it's snip s n i p u r l dot com Slash SN one seven seven. Oh, that makes it easy. We probably should have that for everybody. Everybody there immediately, rather than having to navigate through a couple pages. So it's snip snipurl dot com slash SN one seven seven. All right. That's where um, all the details will be. Lots don't of go links. there now. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> lots of links. Well, for example, one of the things that's there is a demo of. Actually, it's not there at this instant. It's on my copy. I haven't, I haven't put it up on the server yet. So our live listeners will need to wait for a couple hours, and I'll get caught up as soon as, the, the, as, soon as we're done recording. But they, I will have a link to a demonstration of this fraudulent certificate where wow. if you set your clock back, the, the, the guys, the security researchers who created the fraudulent certificate made it expire um, after August of '04. Yeah. So if you set your machine's clock to a certain date, during which the secure this the, their their fraudulent certificate is valid then you can click this link and you will get an an ssl connection from your browser to their server using an invalid certificate based on a valid root authority so i mean it this is we'll we'll talk about what this means in detail after we cover um, a bunch of, well, after we get all the other security stuff out of the way, we'll do that's that, and then the other topics I want to talk big, about. Big, big story. Yeah. So again, that, that URL is at snipurl.com slash SN177. Okay. Right. So, um, in terms of patching, there's been a lot that's happened in the last three weeks. Um, when I turned on my, my Mac, my Intel based Mac, it said, Oh, we have 190 megabytes. Yeah.
0: 10.5.9, was it, I think?
1: No, we're 6 now. 10.5.6. 6. 6, yeah. So there were a bun- many critical vulnerabilities that were patched. I imagine everybody who knows, um, pro- I mean, who has been following along, you may want to just make sure that your Mac is up to date by telling it to run the little software update un- under that main menu item and, and give it a chance. Um, Opera has been updated to 9.6.3 with a bunch of problems fixed. Firefox um i i said last time and i'll say it again it's time for the people who are still using version 2 if version 3 is available on your platform it's time to switch to version 3 yeah version 2 is going to no longer be maintained the last version of version 2 is 2.0.0.20 0. 0. 0. And that fixed a bunch of critical vulnerabilities, which were also fixed in the latest version of Firefox version 3, which is 3.0.5. So um, if you you can't switch to 3 for some reason, you do want to make sure that you're using 2.0.0.20 under Firefox 2, but no more fixes are coming down for that. So you probably do want to... it's, it's time to move over to... it's been a year... To, you know, and I'm there, and, and I we know how reluctant I am to move. I'm just completely happy with Firefox version three. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Also, Google's Chrome officially left beta. Um, it is no longer in beta, uh, so the Chrome browser is done. Remember, we were speculating whether it would ever get out of beta because <laughs> most Gmail of the time Google doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's really nice that they got it done and uh, and made a bunch of changes. <laughs> is it done or is it just, I mean, it's arbitrary. Yeah, this I think they just, thing. they decided to take it out of beta. Made it made version yeah. one, yeah. something or other. Good. Okay. Now, also since we last talked, actually it was like the afternoon of our last recording, Microsoft once again surprised us with an out of cycle patch. Um, there was a zero day exploit, which they discovered... That affected all versions of i e um, which caused Microsoft to to you know react very quickly, there were seven different exploits that had been identified, and at the time as many as thick six thousand websites were infected with this, so this was code on those websites, which was um, installing software in users' machines. Using a flaw that was not known until it was found in the wild, thus zero-day exploit. So s- certainly, our, our listeners who are, I'm, I'm sure, are keeping up with patches, know about this. But it was it was substantial, and um, what it allowed was for malicious code to run in the context of the logged-on user. Well, I mention that because both sandboxes knew drop my rights or rights dropping feature and the drop my rights tool the little utility we talked about last time both would have prevented this Ah. so it's a perfect example of of running um, your browser with lower rights which you have the option of doing with sandboxy i mean sandboxy would have likely prevented any problem anyway but this would have by using the the new write dropping feature in sandboxy frankly i'm not sure if it's yet available publicly i've been testing the beta with with ronan and he's got it working great um, so i you know i have it um, and i imagine if it's not out it'll be out soon but then the the drop my rights utility that we talked about does the same thing basically it removes admin and a whole bunch of other privileges from from the instance of running applications and it would have sh- shut this thing down even if you were hit by the exploit before the patch was out. I mean, and that's the kind of protection you want real preemptive protection instead of, you know, saying, well, okay, how do I disinfect my machine after this disaster is Yeah, Yeah. Another reason to use this. Yep. It just makes sense. Yep. Um, Samsung has had a, we have another digital picture frame malware problem. (laughs) In this case, it was, it was uh, the Samsung S model SPF-85H, which is an 8-inch digital photo frame. The software, the frame itself is not infected. There were, there were some before where the, the firmware that shipped with these was infected, such that when, when you connected it to your computer, it, would, it, it could infect your machine. In this case, it's the companion software, disk, that comes along with it. Which is necessary to use the frame as a USB monitor on Windows XP machines. It contains the um, the um, it, well a worm. It's a the W thirty two dot S A L I T Y dot A E worm. And the bad news is, it installs keystroke logging malware <sighs> on the machines
0: where it has been installed. You gotta wonder how that leaks into the production <sighs> facility. Yeah. I mean, it's on some testing machine or something, and. It must be crafted to spread itself on that particular platform, I would think. Yeah, and on also to jump onto like you know PCs. anything else yeah. you're
1: doing. Yeah. So it says, "Oh, look, let's see. here comes the master
0: imprint of the CD for you, the uh, digital photo frame. Let's just jump over on it, that." You almost think it it has to be some an inside job that somebody in the factory knew that they were going to do this production run and and snuck it in there. It, it can't be yeah. an accident.
1: I, I mean, I agree that it it's. I, it's it's hard to know what the environment is where these things are created. It may just it may just be amateur league, you know, wherever the software is coming from. They may be subcontracting it to some random third party. It's really not something that Samsung does. They they just get the software from someone else who says, oh, you know, and 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 they, they say, this is what we want to do. So they take it and they check it out, not realizing there's a trojan there, and you know, that's a problem. Yeah. Um. Microsoft reported that the most recent version. Of their MSRT, the the malicious software removal tool, that is the December edition for last month, cleaned more than 400,000 PCs from something
0: you have mentioned before, Leo, the antivirus 2009. It's amazing, isn't it? Phony security application. Now, that's on top of the, some hundreds of thousands that they had removed the, the month before. I think we even talked about it. Yes,
1: exactly. So it's still spreading. And, you know, this, I mean, this demonstrates
0: that this MSRT, I've never seen it do anything, <laughs> fortunately. <laughs> well, it's almost, it, I have to think that Microsoft knew that this day would come. And it was like, well, let's get this going. Let's have it on the system. Let's keep yeah. it up to date. And now, the, you know, we need it. Well, and it's so nice, too,
1: because I mean, this this leverages, you know, it's proactive removal and it leverages the Windows update facility, which, you know, when when Microsoft first introduced it was the old timers of a, among us were like, ah, I don't right. think I want this being done yeah. all the time. Yeah. Now it's
0: like. Okay, let's make sure we got all
1: the latest updates. Okay, let's make <laughs> yeah. sure we got all the latest sorry, uh, so this, updates. This, is, this okay. is
0: done automatically. It's installed as part of Windows Update. You have it uh, if you run Windows Update and you install critical updates. And every time they do a Windows Update, it seems that they, they push new fixes yes. for it. And so the idea is that when you reboot your machine, this thing runs once
1: as Windows is starting to to scrub your machine of any of this and it's not a it's not doing a big long search that takes a long time because it's targeted it's you know there's specific malicious things that they just they go directly to them and and work out the details of removing them as windows is starting so this you know it's free machine cleaning right right so that's a good thing um a little bit of bright news about how the riaa is dealing with music piracy they've they formally announced that they're changing their approach. they're giving up well, no,, oh. but they're not going to go randomly suing end users really? all over the place wow, that's a big change, yeah, it is a big change, a huge policy shift you know i mean they've been they've been suing people now for the last many years, and you know often innocent people, some grandmother who got some Trojan installed on her machine and didn't right. know that her machine was serving music through you know through some peer networking system so What they're going to now do, they've said, is work with ISPs, identify pirates, let the either the ISP notify users, or the the ISP will provide the information, allowing the uh, the RIAA to notify users. But that will be the limit of it. They're not saying they where's the stick
0: then. I mean, how do they
1: enforce it? Well, they're not saying they absolutely won't sue someone. But it will only be real gross offenders, people who, you know, I mean, like mass, mass offenders. But, you know, your typical end user will get us, you know, get get some warning notices. And they have said then that the ISP may throttle their bandwidth or or take some, you know, the ISP could say, look, if you don't stop this, we're going to cut
0: back your bandwidth. So knock it off. So I guess the threat is that they will uh, sue the ISP, that the ISP is in a way held liable for what its users are doing. Well, I'll be surprised
1: if that sticks. You know, the ISPs want to be called a common carrier, unresponsive. Right. Not that's not their job. Right. Exactly.
0: Right. But it sounds like the the only way the I- RIAA could make this work is if they if they hold I mean, if they're not going to hold users responsible, then that's the uh, ISP. The ISP could just ignore them. That's true. The ISP could say, "Hey, I'm a common carrier. Go, you know, go I'm the phone company." And speaking of ISPs, um the we remember that
1: we you may remember that we covered a story about how the the government of Australia was planning to do a continent wide (laughs) filtering of the internet. Well, to say that it's met with some resistance would be an understatement. (laughs) Um, The ISPs, no no ISPs want to participate. Um, uh, What the government has said they were going to do was to block as many as 10,000 sites that are known to be hosting illegal content. Well, um, Telstra, which is the largest ISP, and in partly Australia. owned by the government of Australia, I might ask. Uh-huh. and Internode, which is another biggie, both flatly said no. Oh, wow. We will not do it. Oh, wow. uh, there's another smaller one called Optus that said it would participate in some sort of scaled back deployment, whatever that means, and then another one, iiNet. Said, "Well, they'll participate only to demonstrate that the filtering plan will not work. <laughs> How stupid it is! <laughs> so it's just 100% backlash. Good, I mean, good and and there have been public protests in Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney. There have been, you know, formal organized protests saying, you know, we don't want our internet filtered by our yeah. government.
0: Yeah, Thank that you was very kind much. of a kooky idea, uh, but yeah. that's not the first. I mean, they 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 remember they spent millions designing filtering software that was cracked in a few days in a few minutes." Yeah. <laughs> I mean this yeah. is crazy. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Somebody clearly somebody um, in the government has no clue. Well, gee, you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and uh uh
1: Cisco released their annual security report for calendar 08 that had some interesting t- statistics that I thought our users would find uh, uh interesting. The total number of disclosed security flaws increased in 08. By eleven and a half percent. Now, see, on the surface, that sounds bad, but I think that's good. Well, it's—I uh, mean, it's well, got both good and bad to it. I mean, we're—we're right. we're glad that these things are being found. Exactly. We're—we're we're
0: sorry that there are so many of them to right. be found. I—my—I guess my supposition is they were there anyway. They've always been there. The fact that they're finding them and, and disclosing them is an improvement. Yeah. Although
1: I—I—I'm not. We're also not. I, I don't feel like the software we're using now. Is more secure than what we had. I mean,
0: there's certainly more awareness of it. I think Vista's more secure. I don't think we're hearing nearly the number of exploits on the Vista side that we used. Okay, to. Okay, but we'd... that's that's not a consequence of of
1: software flaws as much as it is design, where Microsoft true. finally really got serious about true. security, true, and and implemented architectural features that are that are protecting us. But for example, all of those, you know, that the that that zero day IE flaw that affected i.e. Outlook, Outlook Express, and even there were Word documents that were causing this problem. I mean, that was across all platforms except Server 2008 was the only platform that was not affected by that. So Vista was no more secure, you know, a Vista user no more secure in this case than would uh, an XP user be. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, uh, what was interesting was that attacks that were spread by malicious email attachments fell by 50%. Um, and Cisco reported that they're seeing more and more blended attacks. A blended attack, remember, (laughs) meaning that there's more than a single flaw is being used. Uh, It's sometimes multiple flaws. And in fact, we'll be talking about that relative to SSL, because for phishing, you need both an illegitimate certificate and some way to get somebody to the wrong website. So so multiple vulnerabilities being used in combination – in the so-called blend in order to to actually um you know make make the exploit happen right and uh and finally um 90 percent of
0: worldwide email is now spam who nine zero you know 99.9 <laughs> percent <9% laughs> of my email is spam according to my uh spam but, you service. know leo you're leo at leoville <laughs> yeah, that's very right. um, thanks I mean, for incur- that 99.99 percent. Like, no no and i've been using beacon, that address for 10 years so be- beacon up yeah i mean it's on every list yeah. there is interesting though the in- so what they're saying is of all the email traffic going on nine out of ten messages in that email traffic is garbage yes 90 yes. percent unsolicited appalling. unsolicited mail and, and you now remember, other- it went down. It went down a huge bunch when they disconnected that company in uh, San Jose. Yes. But I guess it's back. Yes. It's like roaches. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. Okay. So,
1: a couple of days ago, uh, and it was just a couple of days ago, two security researchers, German res- uh, security re- researchers, Alex Satarov and Jacob a- Applebaum, introduced a surprise at a security yeah. um at a security summit um they demonstrated that they had created a fraudulent ca a, a certificate authority that was that that was carrying a valid signature from a root authority so let's review a little bit what that means the the idea is we, we've talked about the so-called chain of trust. That is, for example, GRC's SSL certificate that that I got from Verisign. I think in this case, um, it, it is signed by Verisign, and 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 Verisign has their certificate signed by their root they happen to have a verisign has a root certificate authority installed in windows it's installed in mac it's installed in linux you know it it, it's it's a very common certificate so the idea is that when someone visits grc and and wants to establish an ssl secure you know https connection to grc in the initial handshaking of that after the tcp connection is established The very next thing that happens is certificates are exchanged as part of the SSL protocol. So my server, the GRC server, sends the user its security certificate in order essentially to authenticate that they've really connected to GRC.com. So in the certificate is www.grc.com, the domain name, which the, so the browser makes sure that matches the URL that it, that it was trying to get to. And then there's this, this chain of, of signatures. Basically, my certificate provides the VeriSign certificate, which, which has been signed by the root authority. So the browser has this group of so-called root authority, root certificates, which are the the sort of like the master keys for SSL. And remember that we've talked, in fact, jokingly but a little bit disparagingly in the past, about how many root authorities there are. My system, which I keep updated with the root certificates, has 277 root authorities. And remember that I've talked about, like, for example, the Hong Kong post office. Um, that's an example of one. The good news is they're secure. Um, I'll be running through a little list from my own little browsing and and also give our listeners a way that they can check their own root security certificates to see whether they are safe or not against this attack. Because many are, many are not. So, what these guys did was they set up a network of, well, first of all, to um, the the digital signature operates with a hash and we've talked in in years past when we were doing our whole crypto series on security now we talked about how digital signatures work right. a, digi- a digital signature is a is a is a, a hash with a hash function a, a cryptographic hash function where you you take for example grc's certificate and it is hashed using m d five or s h a one one of these secure hashes, and then the the hash is is cryptographically signed using the private key of of an authority so that creates another little blob of of binariness then what happens is when to to authenticate the the signature of, for example, GRC's certificate. When the browser receives it, it it takes the certificate, applies the hash to get a, a, a essentially a, a fingerprint for that certificate, and and it's then able to. It doesn't have the the private key, but it has the public key for that for the certificate authority. So it's able to it's able to use the public key in order to verify that the hash it gets is the same as the hash that was signed by the authority. It compares those, and that way it knows through this, this sequence of cryptographic operations that the certificate it, it got from me is the same certificate that was presented to the certificate authority and signed by them when they issued that certificate to GRC.com. And up until now... There has been no way to break that process. Well, there's been evolution in digital certificates and in in hash functions over time. And an older hash function known as MD5, MD stands for Message Digest, which is another term for a hash or a a fingerprint. Um, MD5 has begun to have some problems. Cryptographic experts over the last few years have begun to poke little holes in it, finding little things that at the the, sort of at the esoteric far end of crypto land were beginning to worry certificate researchers. And as a consequence, many responsible cryptographic providers began to say, okay, look, uh, don't use MD5 anymore for, for things that are really mission critical. It's beginning to have problems so far it hasn't been cracked there've been sort sort of like collisions where for example you're able to you're able to create deliberately create two different texts which when hashed using md5 end up with the same signature and and it's supposed to be very difficult i mean like really 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 you know cryptographically difficult to do that but it turns out some weaknesses Cause it to be less difficult than the designers of md5 intended, so what happened is an additional weakness was found um, in in md5 using what's known as a chosen prefix attack it's extremely computationally intensive, even with this defect, even to exploit this defect it's computationally intensive now we've talked about the notion of using um, gaming platforms, high per, the high performance GPUs, the graphics processing units in 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 state of the art graphics accelerators, in order to to increase the number of cryptographic operations that can be performed. What these guys did was the these researchers they took a cluster of two hundred PlayStation three systems, so two hundred PS threes, which Cranked on this for two weeks, and they were able to create a fraudulent certificate authority. So what that meant was they were able to create a, a, their own certificate authority where it looked like it had been signed by one of the main root authorities, mm. and then specifically Equifax, which is one of the the oldest been there for a long time certificate, um, root authorities. So they have a, they have a certificate, which is, which appears to have been issued by Equifax, but wasn't. Hmm. And what that allows them to do then is now create any fraudulent, um, SSL certificates that they want for any, Apparently, for any website, it's very much like, you know, it's like they're now a VeriSign. They can easily create certificates, www.amazon.com, www.paypal.com, anything they want. And when their certificate is presented to any browser in the world, it will be accepted. Hmm. So that's this not good.
0: Is that true for the? Is it the extended uh, certificates too, the green ones, or is this just a standard uh, SSL certificate? Well, okay. Now that's really
1: interesting because what I did was was to browse through my
0: certificate store. Remember, I said I've got two hundred seventy seven of these, and <laughs> that's quite a cost, isn't it? That's hundreds, that's thousands of dollars you've invested in this. Oh well, no. I mean, everyone has. This oh, many. oh, this is the any thing that's built into your either. browser, not your, your, not the, not GRC certificates. This oh is, no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. Th- these say. are the, the, the
1: trusted <laughs> right. root certificates right. Right. that are pre-installed in every, you know, in any contemporary, you know, active right. system. So the Mac has them, Windows has them, Linux has them. This is the they way you to. do SSL. Right. So, for example, so um, and in order to browse these certificates, it's it's not easy, but um. One of the many things I have on this page, on on the Security Now episode 177 show notes page. So again, that's snipurl.com slash sn177. I have in, instructions for how you can browse your own store of certificates. Um, you it's you got to use the, the, the Microsoft management plugin console thing. It's a really messy UI that Microsoft came up with but it's possible to do it. it. At least you can do it. At least you can pass it. Yeah. And so what I did was I just said, oh, okay, you know, what's going on here? What you look for is, is what, what was the message digest? What was the, the fingerprint technology used for, for those certificates? And so, for example, the Microsoft root authority was signed with MD five. Oops. Microsoft's Authenticode Root Authority, MD5. Whoops. Mm. Um, Thought, the T-H-A-W-T-E, Thoughts certificates are signed with MD5. Now, they're owned by VeriSign. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Although, VeriSigns are all signed only with SHA-1. Mm. Um, Equifax has both SHA-1 and MD5. And that was the, the one that these guys chose. So any of these roots, which are signed by MD5, that have an MD5 variant, could be targets for this exploitation. Um, there's something called entrust.net, was MD5 and SHA-1, So, but MD5 is there, that's in trouble. And for example, the Australian Society for Data Protection has a, has a for some reason, there's a root certificate in my machine, and it was signed by MD5. So that would be potential for exploit. On the flip side, the the, the routes which are only SHA-1 are, for example, AOL is only SHA-1, so it is absolutely safe, because as far as we know, there are no known attacks against SHA-1 that there are against MD5. Komodo is also SHA-1, as are GoDaddy, GeoTrust, Wells Fargo, Visa, VeriSign, Network Solutions, and... Hong Kong Post Office,
0: yay! So they get
1: kudos. Yay! The Hong Kong Post Office gets kudos for only having an SHA1 cert. Our, now, our favorite whipping boy. Essentially, <laughs> the guys that are still using MD5 really belong in the doghouse, yeah. Because MD5 has been been chipping; it's been chipped away at for about the last four or five years now. And so, so, so it's
0: known that this is a flawed.
1: Well, hash. it's 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 it should have been making people uncomfortable. Mm. And it's one of those things where, you know, people who were on top of their game said, you know, there's no reason for our certificate to be signed with MD5. We're only going to sign it with SHA1. Because even though there's nothing that we know is wrong with MD5, it doesn't seem as strong to us as we thought it was when we first signed our certs with it five years ago. Now, one of the things that I'm noticing Microsoft is doing a lot is updating this root cert um, database. It is not part of the standard updates in Windows. So you need to use the the custom, um, the, the I think, what, what is it, expert mode or something they call it, where you, you are able to look at all the things that you, you can update. And then there it's under optional updates. And you'll see root certificate updates. And pretty much every month or two, I'm seeing that Microsoft is fussing with that. So I think, I expect what will happen is that because this is making a huge, well, I mean, yes, huge waves as, as it ought to. I mean, this is not the end of the world. These guys are really good um, um, cryptographers. They spent, that they, they built a network of 200 PS3s that it cranked for two weeks in order to create this. But we, as we know, the fact that some group can do it and have now published, publicized this means that you know everyone now knows it's possible. So, so they seem like really good guys. They're you know they're security researchers hoping to fix this problem by demonstrating it. And it's unfortunately it's only by demonstrating a problem like this that many times people get off the dime and and take the effort to fix it. So what I expect to happen is that Microsoft for example will immediately remove MD5 from their own root certificates and so an up the next update to the you know, the Windows root authority database will remove certainly Microsoft's MD5 and I imagine Thought, GTE, Equifax. I mean, you can imagine how fast Equifax is scrambling since they're the ones that happen to get hacked because right. their MD5 <laughs> they're certificate... They're the poster boys. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. was sitting in there in yeah. you know and widely distributed across all the clients
0: um, that are using SSL on the internet. Wow. Yeah. So does this impact other technologies using MD5? I mean, MD5 is still a widely used hash. Well, um, what this says is that that MD5
1: is is clearly no longer safe yeah. MD5 it, it's it's now it can now be said that MD5 is not just dented it is broken that the fact that you can you can deploy it, i mean 2 weeks is not that long even though you need 200 PS3s you know i mean you can imagine an ad hoc some sort of like internet network of PS3s cranking on in, you know along in their spare time and there have been projects that, that repurpose these kinds of, of gaming platforms through peer-to-peer networks for, you know, uh, searching through SETI, star noise, and, and folding of biological organisms, and all kinds of different things. So you can imagine that it would be possible for other exploits using MD5. Yeah. Basically, MD5 makes sense in low-security applications where you want a fingerprint. But having said that, and given that SHA-1 is so available... Um, and so effective and Yeah, exactly. Why not use right. it? I mean, right. I, I think this is this is the death knell for MD5. Wow.
0: It's a big shock. So is there uh, anything people can do at this point? I mean, there's no I mean, well, all these certificate authorities have to change their technology, right?
1: Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, if somebody were, you know, if you were the CIA or <laughs> or somebody who was really concerned, what you could do is go through. Your, your root store, and again, on the, on, on the show notes for, for episode 177, snipurl.com slash sn177, I, I will show our users how to do this. Um, I'll see if I can do it on the Mac. I'm not nearly familiar, as familiar with the Mac as I am with Windows, but it's certainly possible to look through the, the root certificate store, and users could delete any of the certificates that are signed using MD5. And in doing so, they have essentially said to their computer, okay, we're no longer, this computer is no longer gonna accept MD5 signed certificates, which, you know, it does solve the problem. You may find that if there were a website that didn't have, for example, both MD5 and SHA-1, if you delete, if it was only signed with an MD5 cert and not also, not co-signed with an SHA-1, then you may not be able to connect with SSL and then you'd have to decide if you wanted to or not. Now remember this, however, would, would only be used as part of a blended attack. So, so two things are necessary. You would need not only to be able to have a spoofed certificate offered by a server that is the destination server that you go to, but also some way of diverting you to that. Now, as it happens, earlier this year, we talked about DNS spoofing and the mm-hmm. so-called Kaminsky attack, mm-hmm. which does exactly that. Uh-huh. So, we, so, yes, so we were saying that, OK, so you go to you go to um, a site which uh, is the, is a is a is a spoofed site thanks to DNS being poisoned and says, OK, well, fine, maybe you don't notice that when you're logging into eBay it hasn't switched you into a secure mode so if they don't switch you to ssl then and you just assume that the login is going is going to take care of your security because you know it always does then then you've been you're using a spoofed server and ssl doesn't come into play at all but if you were very security conscious you might make sure that you had you were at https colon slash slash you know www.ebay.com or paypal or, or or whatever and you could even then as we've often said you know check to make sure your lock is unbroken or your key is unbroken right click on the page make sure that you're secure all of that would work if the server had a fraudulent certificate issued by a fraudulent certificate authority so two things are necessary it's not just the the spoofing of the certificate it's also somehow getting you to a fraudulent server with a with a fraudulent certificate right, so both right. things are necessary although you know both things are potentially possible and, and they're out there and 25 percent
0: of dns servers have still not been fixed is that is that the number still yeah Jeez louise one out of four use open dns exactly so uh, let's see here. We uh, are going to, I know you want to talk about capacitors. We're going to talk about PDP-8s and then capacitors. And I know, I can't wait to hear about the PDP-8. Before we do that, though, let's talk about Audible.com. What do you say? Oh, sounds good. Give you give you a little break. Nurse your cough. Audible is drink our, some <laughs> drink some water. Audible's our good friend. We love Audible.com. They're the folks who, uh, of course, do those audio books that I love so much. I've been a member since... 2001, I started listening to audible.com because I had a killer commute uh, at least two hours a day in the car driving to tech TV from up here in Petaluma. And you know it turned what was an awful kind of nightmarish scenario into something I really looked forward to because I had these great books. I miss it, I miss it I, miss it. I sometimes I'll just go out in the car in the driveway and sit and listen to my book on audible.com. <laughs> Actually, I don't have to because I've got it on my iPhone. you got it in your iPod it's on the GPS. The Kindle, the Zune, anything, pretty much. Uh, Even burn CDs to listen to if you've got a CD player in your car. Audible.com. A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com is the website. Now, I want to send you a special URL. It's audiblepodcast.com slash security now. When you go there, you could sign up for a gold membership with Audible. That'll give you a book a month. And the first one's free. First credit is absolutely free. So there are a lot of... This is the idea is uh, Audible wants you to try it. Make sure you like it. And there are a lot of 51,000 books to choose from. I'm going to recommend one today that uh, was always a favorite of mine. I have to say, I haven't listened to it uh, because I read it many years ago. But I, I'm I'm thinking I'm going to download it right now and listen to it on audible.com. The great Arthur C. Clark Rendezvous with Rama. Remember that great book? Um, by the way, if you're already an Audible member, this is on sale. They're, they have a special holiday relief sale for $8.95. When you buy these books, you keep them. In fact, you can go back to Audible and download books that you've erased from your device or your computer. This is one of the Audible Frontiers recordings. They, Because many of these great classic science fiction books were never recorded in audio, Audible's doing it themselves. Uh, this is uh, Peter Gainham and Robert J. Sawyer narrate the Hugo Award-winning Best Novel of 1974, Nebula Award-winning Best Novel, Campbell Award-winning Best Novel, Um I love Arthur C. Clarke, and uh, this one, by the way, has um, an introduction by uh, Robert Sawyer, who's who's also a Hugo Award winner, explaining why Rendezvous with Rama is considered by many to be one of the great science fiction novels of all time. Arthur C. Clarke passed away last year in 2008, a great loss to the worlds of science fiction, but fortunately we have his books, and this is a great one for you if you want to join Audible and get Get a little trial, a little taste of what Audible can offer. I can't wait to download Rendezvous with Rama. Our recommendation of the week. Try it now. Absolutely free. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of the Security Now show. Did you, did you ever read that book, Rendezvous with Rama? Oh, my goodness, yes. I think several times. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. it's fun to go back for me i mean there's so many great new science fiction books and i you know i'm, I'm now just finally finishing night's dawn trilogy it's taken me almost all year to do it <laughs> the law i don't know how how many pages is that in real pages because i'm doing oh it are three monster books It's huge right. i have it on my kindle yeah. fortune i brought it to france and, and in fact
1: when when they, when it came out in paperback they couldn't do them as paperbacks that were that <laughs> the size of hardbacks so there's
0: six paperback books <laughs> Well, it's great. Now I don't want it to end. You know, I'm about, I'm, I'm in the third, about halfway through the third book, so I'm almost done. Yeah. And it's now, it's like, no, don't stop. I, I've got so immersed in that world. What an imagination? It, huh? No, Peter F. Hamilton, great. Yeah. He is not on Audible, and I want to get him on Audible. Um, I'm sure they'll get to it because that's the whole point of this Frontiers thing. And by
1: the way, it was Fallen Dragon was the book was yes. the Hamilton book that I was trying to remember last week
0: when we were talking about him. And, and that's Fallen, the one if you if you've not read any of his books, yes. that's the one to start with for sure. Yes. Uh, and not it's not a million pages. It's just one one volume, no. one Beautiful. book, and just so fun. I've read it. Oh, wait a minute, right time. I take it back. They this they must have just they did they added these a week ago. Pandora's Star, Judas Unchained, oh, the Dreaming Void escape route. Now all on Audible, unabridged. Holy kamoli! Wow. Okay, I'm going back now. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna. Oh, Pandora's Star was so good. That was the that was a trilogy also.
1: Uh, two, uh, just two books, Pandora's Pandora oh, right. star and Judas Unchained right. w- was the second
0: half and just a fantastic story. Get ready for this 37 hours for Pandora's star, 40 hours for Judas Unchained. So a 77 hour book. <laughs> that's a lot, of, a lot of listening. Uh, anyway, audible podcast.com slash security. Now, if you, if you're into sci-fi, they've really, I'm so, I'm so impressed with the commitment they have. To expanding their offerings. I'm so pleased now that they've got those 2 um, Let's talk about the PDP-8. I remember well, when I first started working at a radio station in 1987 in San Francisco KNBR, they were doing their music programming with a PDP-8. Yeah. And I, and I thought, this is so antiquated. But it, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is 87.
1: The, the very first computer I ever saw my, I was, must've been like 10 and my dad took me to his corporate computer facility. Uh, He worked for industrial indemnity in San Francisco, you know, big industrial insurance company. And this was the, you know, the guys walking around in the white lab coats on the raised floor. The whole facility was like a, it was a little jewel. It was a, you know, I mean, it was a showpiece for the company. And so we, you know, we went down and of course there was no going in the room I just sort of pressed my face up against the window which was cold because it was all yes. air conditioned on yes. the other side yeah. and I was I was just mesmerized you know here was I think it might have been a, an an early IBM 360 because it had a a huge panel of lights you know the buttons all over the place the I mean the classic sci-fi looking you know what people think of as as you know the like an old style computer with all literally active twitching Reel to reel tape drives, um, a, you know, a pair of reels, and then the vacuum loops that that, that were used for mechanical buffering wow. because the the uh, tape would be twitching back and forth, and then these vacuum loops would 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 be used to drive the reels back and forth. And I mean, just you know, know a big huge line printer going ching, 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 you know, you know, moving through paper very fast. I mean, I was just, I was like love at first sight. Now that but- was a mainframe, right? That was, oh yeah, that was a full-on major league mainframe, yeah. and back at a time when they when machines were st- like that were still very expensive and very new. But you know, a big industrial insurance company like Industrial Indemnity, you know, they they live and breathe with you know managing all of their accounts and accounting, sure. and you know had the kind of money to afford that. This was a so huge breakthrough,
0: really. Uh,
1: yeah, so, yeah. So that that really sort of set me off on. Well, I mean, I was already I was. I knew computers was where I was going to be. At that point, I was very involved in electronics. You know, my dad took a picture of me before I was five years old, wiring up stuff in the, in the backyard. We had a picnic table and I was, you know, wiring buzzers and bells and knife switches and things. Why
0: am I not surprised? (laughs) I was a computer,
1: a computer hobbyist from, from the beginning. If
0: you could have made your doorbell go yabba dabba doo, you would have. And then
1: when I was in high school, uh I used to hang out in the math resource center. I mean serious geek nerd, nerd person. Nerd. <laughs> and one of the one of the high school teachers told me about a company in San Carlos that was located not far from San Mateo where I was, um, that was doing something with computers and that, you know, maybe there was an opportunity there. And I thought, well, I gotta go find out about that. So this was a company called Technica Education Corporation. Um and it was there that I actually encountered m- and touched my very first computer, which was this Digital Equipment Corporation DEC PDP eight E, and it was a you know n- nineteen inch wide you know rack mounted thing with uh, you know switches on the front and lights and and this was you know this was
0: my first computer. You can't there- underestimate the importance, by the way. I think of of that human scale, going from that thing that was isolated on the other side of the glass and the pr- high priesthood was maintaining it, and Exactly, you had no accessibility. When you're suddenly touching a computer, the whole thing changes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, I mean, I, I want to say religious experience, yeah. but I mean, it was just like, oh my God, you know, I mean. Well, you're not alone. I think Bill Gates, the BDP that he used at Lake School, Lakeside School, that's what turned him on. Yes. Well, and you know there was the the ASR thirty three,
1: the the classic teletype that had the big round sort of cylindrical keys yeah. you press down one at a time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly, and it went ten characters per second, was as fast as it could go. <laughs> then over on the uh, mounted to the left of it was the paper tape punch and reader. Oh so, wow. So because you know you you wanted to, you loaded software on on eight channel eight track paper tape. Um, there was a guy there who was so I was probably either a sophomore or a junior in high school, so 15 or 16, there was a guy there who was a few years older than I, a guy named Lynn Cooley, who at the time had like hippie, sort of long blonde hair tied in a big ponytail. And he had a job at Technica where I was soon employed. And it was Lynn who, you know, sat down with me and said, okay, let me show you how this works. And I learned assembly language the very first assembly language on the PDP-8, and, and you, know, and you we, never
0: stopped. <laughs> oh, and, and I never stopped. I'm still programming assembly language. That, That's my language of choice. What but, was so, so, what was the uh, the the uh, assembly for PDP-8 like compared to the 8086 assembler that you the X86? Oh, well,
1: it, it's it's funny. Mini computer. We we think of mini as meaning miniature, right? But they called it a mini computer. They meant it as minimal. Oh that is it was deliberately a the a minimal computer that is the 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 least computer that you know you could have and still be a computer so for example there's no load instruction to <laughs> to load mem- from memory into the accumulator instead you can add what's in the accumulator um you you can add a memory location into the accumulator which means to do a load, you have to do a clear the accumulator. You zero it first, and then you add. Zero it yeah. and then add. Um, there's no XOR. There's no OR. Wow. Believe it or not, those what? fundamental logical operations. The, but you can simulate all of them with multiple steps, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, so um, the the PDP eight is a twelve bit machine. That is, you know, our you know we're, we're used to sixteen and thirty two and sixty four. This thing is twelve bits, and there was a there was a, a lineage of twelve bit machines that DEC produced over time. Um, the first three bits of the of the twelve bit word is the opcode, meaning there's eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's eight things it can do. Yes. Now, well, eight eight fundamental things. So, so for example, there's there's. There's add, add subtract, there's got to be a move, right? Um, a compare, no. there's a compare. Um, well, the, the, one of the opcodes has, a, is like a lot of little bits down below. So for, so, so for example, there are things like complement the carry, complement the accumulator, ah, okay. those sorts of things are, are all variations in one of the opcodes. Ah, one of them is an IO instruction. So you have IO, you have that, that math there's the the, no multiply probably just add and subtract oh yeah no multiply Multiply, oh my god that you were just dreaming if you wanted to multiply um there the there there's an instruction called dca deposit and clear accumulator and you don't have a choice so anytime you store data in memory your accumulator is cleared oh man so if you want to store it and not have it cleared then you got to store it and then do the tad the tad which is that that, that add instruction, to, but the accumulator's cleared now, so when you add back what you just stored, you get it back again. So the point is, it was really, really minimal. There's no stack in this machine. They hadn't invented wow. stacks wow. at the time. But what it was, was a perfect platform for playing around with the a com- computer. I mean, this was- well, it was a personal, uh, it was it uh, the
0: first uh, personal computer.
1: Yes, well, yes, I mean, it was personal. I was able, I don't think I slept, for about three oh, weeks oh, after so I, you know, cool. yeah. had access to this machine, I I didn't want to sleep, I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to do anything right. except, and you know, it had a front panel and lights just like you know the big you know the big one that I had seen behind the glass, and so you literally when you also had core memory, so you know actual ferromagnetic little donuts in there that were magnetized one way or the other, and everything worked with core memory. There was no. We didn't have solid state memory back then.
0: And how many words did you have? Probably not a lot. (laughs)
1: Well, okay. 12 bits can only access 4K. 4K. (laughs) Yeah, but 4K probably costs thousands of dollars when it's core. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing was, it was a, it was, I think, like a $25,000 minimal computer at the time. Unbelievable. it was expandable. They had like a bank switching arrangement. You could expand it. Uh, so you could have eight 4k banks, meaning the absolute maximum configuration was 32 K 32 kilobytes or kilowords. So anyway, I was just, I mean, that was my first machine and you know, obviously I, I it had a warm spot for me. I mean, I've, I've, you know, it's, it's meant a lot over time. So, you are actually responsible, Leo, for what happened next. I was watching Twit Live, and somebody on camera brought out a core memory plane. Me, I have one. You've got one, I yeah. know, somewhere around there. Yeah. And I have, I, would, I don't know what I was doing. I was working or doodling or something. I just had Twit Live on in the background, and there was this core memory plane. I looked at it. I thought. I, I want one of those.
0: <laughs> Had you told me that could have been your Christmas gift. I don't have any. Well, I got core now, but, um, so I thought I need some core memory just, you know, because
1: before it all goes away, before it's, yeah, it all been, somebody sent. they framed it and they sent it to me. That's so neat. Yeah. So of course I went to eBay and I put in core memory and there was a bunch of people selling core memory. So, you know, I got a couple different ones and there was one that I, I struck up a dialogue with this gal in West Virginia, uh, a surplus seller. And uh, I don't remember now what it was. Maybe we were talking about shipping or I, maybe I bought two of them. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to get these two. Why don't you just put them together and ship it to me as, in one box and we'll save some, some, some money or something. She, so we're sending email back and forth and she says, you know, I'm, um, I all, by the way, I also have a couple PDP eights with core memory. And I said, Whoa, 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 whoa. what you have what okay now this you know this this was 35 years ago that this was all happening or more than that even maybe um you know 40 years ago and i said what do you mean pdp8s they're all gone she says no i've got a couple in a couple crates so i thought okay uh you know send me pictures so she didn't she wasn't sure what they were they were they were two machines, each in in their own crate, and she took a picture of the front panel. And sure enough, it's a PDP eight. So Though it wasn't a completely standard PDP eight, there was something different about the panel. Well, Google is your friend. I was able to figure out that that these PDP eights were part of a Canadian Loran C monitoring network whoa this loran is Loran c is a is a is a land-based navigation system yeah sort of you know old school and what's interesting is that until the attacks of september 11th loran c was going to be decommissioned because now we have gps right but the department of homeland security decided that you know we might need a backup positioning system so they decided not to scrap Loran C because the advantage of Loran C is it's completely different from GPS. Right, GPF right. Is, GPS is satellite based, uses a completely different frequency range. Loran C is much lower frequency. G, uh, GPS is very high frequency. Uh, Loran C is is ground based as opposed to space based. So it made sense that you know this would be a good you know fallback navigation system. So I learned from from doing some Googling that these machines had been integral to, had they been designed into these monitoring stations years ago and had been decommissioned. And in fact, there was a letter I found that where someone said that they, they've, when they tried to remove the PDP-8s, because these were so such old machines and just like replace them with something new, they found that they, 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 it was a much, much harder job than they anticipated Hmm. Because the PDP eight wasn't monitoring the receiver, it was the receiver. That is, it had been integrated so tightly into the electronics oh, that it was involved in all aspects of running the receiver. What these were? These were these were fixed location stations that received the LORAN C transmissions and just checked them. They just they were they were just verifying that what the various LORAN C transmitters were sending was. Was correct, so they were doing like sort of like land-based quality control. Well, what I then found out was, to my amazement, these two machines that this gal in West Virginia had had never been used. They were they were spares, brand new, never deployed. They'd been sitting in Alameda County at the U.S. Coast Guard in Alameda for
0: who knows how many years yeah, presumably maintained and, and kept dry and you know i mean uh, well yeah i mean in individual crates they were they were
1: crated ready to be sent out wow. to replace a broken deployed pdp8e in you know in one of these monitoring stations if that ever happened so i own them now <laughs> you bought Need the whole things. thing I, I, how could I not? I mean, this is a piece of history that, yeah. I mean, and it's funny too, Leo. Cause I mean, whenever I look at a photo of the front of one of these, I just kind of like, Oh God. Neat. I mean, it just, that it neat? really gets me. Yeah. Okay. So the reason this is interesting for, or potentially interesting for our listeners is that something else happened while I was doing all this PDP8 research, I stumbled on a site spare time com, by a neat engineer who's also a programmer pdp guy you know deck did a bunch of different pdps there was the, the pdp 10 actually i encountered when i was working at the ai lab uh at stanford um they had a pdp 10 and i think they used a pdp 11 as the front end so you know pdp stands for program data processor anyway this guy bob armstrong um created a pdp-8 kit toward the end of the life of the of the pdp-8 line intersil that was a semiconductor manufacturer created a pdp-8 on a chip a single chip pdp-8 probably not so, such a sophisticated chip either given what you've told probably me. not that difficult yeah. to do yeah. right and and um ha- harris semiconductor later bought intersil They produced the HD6100, was the name of their chip, and then a second generation HD6120. Well, Bob Armstrong, who is sort of a hobbyist, uh, craftsman, kit builder guy, he's got a whole bunch of cool things on his site. One of them is a, he calls it the SBC6120, single board computer, 6120, which is, it's about, I don't know, four by five inches um, and it is a complete PDP-8 kit wow. with with a serial interface and, nicely, an IDE interface. So you can interface this PDP-8, which is that it runs all the standard DEC software. DEC has done something interesting, too. All of the software has been preserved. All the manuals have been preserved. Uh, bitsavers.org has all of this. And there are various PDP-8 you know, hobbyist enthusiast sites around the net
0: where, you know, there's been an active effort to preserve this and, and keep this from being lost. Now, would you uh, power yours up, your Loran systems up, or are, you, are they just going to sit under glass in the museum? Well, it's interesting. Um, we're going to be talking about capacitors of a
1: different sort here next. Right. Um, what happens with unused electrolytic capacitors they is leak. that they die. Yeah. Um, what ha- well, the, the, uh, and you know the the old the old style power supplies so called linear power supplies uh, or you could th- almost think of them as like analog as opposed to digital power supplies C- contemporary power supplies are almost universally switching power supplies um the original old linear power supplies have um typically very large silver cans which are electrolytic capacitors which are are a- a- essentially the technology we have for creating a a lot of capacitance in a, a reasonable space at a low voltage. They rely on aluminum oxide as their insulator. And that over time, the aluminum oxide breaks down in the capacitor. So it's very likely that were I to simply plug these machines in, they would explode. The capacitors oh, would explode, dear. fuses would blow, rectifiers would blow, I mean... Not something you want to have happen to, you know, your, your Model T prize, uh, you know, prize antique of, of your life. So it's possible, though, through a process of restoration. Uh, it's called reforming a capacitor. You you take the capacitors out one by one. You give them a little bit of voltage oh. and run some current through them, and they will replate themselves. Oh. They will re- so it's not a leak. It's, it's just they've got deplated. Yes, they've they've been depleted unfortunately if you get if you put them under full use load they would be short circuits right and right, z- and, and right. what happened is the a current w- would flow through then it would burn the capacitor in right. that spot and it would never be fixable
0: again so it's you just, just kind of trickle something into it so the the the, the surface replaces itself essentially.
1: exactly okay. so so you 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 run a controlled current of, of a couple milliamps through the capacitor and over time you'll see that in fact what i'll use is i'll use a constant current lab lab bench supply i've got one and so i'll set it to a, a to a I'll limit its current to a couple of mils, and i'll 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 and then set its voltage to the rate of voltage of the capacitor so over time it'll slowly bring the voltage up on the capacitor as the current running through it um is is kept constant but as it's replating itself it'll eventually become an open circuit again it'll it'll end up essentially no longer leaking and that capacitor will have been fixed. And so I'll step through every single large filter capacitor in the power supply one by one, bringing them back to life, essentially. So so anyway, so I do certainly, I'm interested in making those machines work. But I'm also excited, or I was excited, about this notion of there being a kit. The problem was that when I went to this site, this sparetimegizmos.com, this was years ago it had been done. The the, the kits used to exist. I think they were discontinued maybe in 04. So so Bob had created this, um, I mean, literally a turnkey kit. Circuit board, all the components, everything you need, buy it from him, you know, sit down on a Saturday afternoon, you know, with a soldering iron and build yourself a working PDP-8. Then he went the next step. And he created a front panel for this thing.
0: I see it on the site. It's so oh. funny. It it doesn't say PDP eight. Well, I think he calls it what gizmos. Uh, it says gizmo and, s
1: and then s b c sixty one twenty. Yep. So that is a that is a working control panel full that you know emulates the PDP eight. Just like what you know, I had when I was fifteen. Oh man! Um, and what I may have—do so you have, flip
0: those switches to program it?
1: Yes, <sighs> yes. I mean, for example, when 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 the machine is empty and you want to read in a paper tape, you have to key in the so-called boot loader. So you you flip the switches. How many switch flips is that? Oh, it's it's not that many instructions. I think it's maybe like. Twelve or thirteen okay. instructions. It's a very simple loader that is simply it simply says read the next right. chunk of read, read the next data from the paper tape store it here
0: read the next one store it there. But read you're the flipping those tro- switches essentially with binary code for the uh, assembly instructions. Yes, <laughs> yes. and In fact, that was what. It's a great what, way to learn about computers, frankly. Oh well, in fact, Leo, many
1: universities teach. I mean, to this day, teach assembly language using pdp8 emulators interesting there, i mean the pdp has been emulated there there is courseware about the pdp8 if, if you put into google pr- pdp8 programming you, you you you'll find page after page about you know the pdp8 and and programming because it's a perfect machine to learn programming on yeah and this front panel you know it's got the lights and switches just like you know the original pdp8 did where you're able to like you know flip the switches and then 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 press load and it so it it stores that and then and steps to the next instruction flip the switches press load literally to key in a little program and then you it's got a switch that it says run and you press run and the machine runs it i mean it's a it's a real honest to god little computer so neat. anyway what happened was i was mo- i was mourning the fact that you know 4 years ago this had happened, and I didn't know about it because I would have loved to have had one of these single board computers and, and certainly this, this fantastic front panel uh,
0: to go That's along. That's the real with. reason, because frankly, uh, you could do it all in software. I mean, you could run a, a PDP-8 on any modern computer system easily.
1: Uh, An 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 emulation of it. Yeah, certain- yeah. But you want the flips. You want the switches. Oh yeah. Well, and it, I mean it, it's so thin now that you can m- literally get sort of like l- like a, a deep picture frame, and you can hang it on the wall. <laughs> You're right. It's not. I'm looking at it. You're right. It's not a big old box, is it? No. It's only. I think it's maybe what maybe four or five inches deep. Because <laughs> it's just that little board is all that's in there. It's just a little board inside. Um, but I mean, but Bob did, I mean, he's a, he's a craftsman. Those, those front panels, they are multicolor silk screen. They are laser cut panels. I mean, I mean, just beautiful works. I got to get one of
0: those. That is awesome.
1: Well, in fact, Leo, what I'm going to tell you is, you know, if, if, yeah, I don't know if, um, if your builder gal, um, Colleen. Colleen. Yeah. I don't know if Colleen wants to build it, but if. If you want one and she doesn't want to build it, I will build it for
0: you. I'll build I it. Thinking- I can. I'm not an idiot. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> is a little soldering is, involved? Is a little I soldering. I know. You're, lots of soldering. Yes. Lots of solder. Oh, because you have to solder. put all the chips and everything on the on the
1: board. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, so what happened was I was, you know, I was shedding a tear. You know, I mean, yes, I was going to get some real PDP eight ease, but this was just like portable, low power. It would really work. Brand new. You know, and it was just a just a work of art that this guy had created. So anyway, I wrote to Bob and I said, Hey Bob, you know, uh I've seen your site. I realized this was, you know, years ago, it's too late. I said, if you if you know anyone who wants to sell theirs, I'm definitely in the market. I'd be happy to buy one. I think I I think in fact maybe at some point he put them on eBay. I'm not sure but I was I saw some reference to eBay. Um also all of his work is open source. That is all, he's, he's not trying to make any money on this. He, so like all the software, all of the, the the Gerber tapes for making the circuit boards. I mean, he's just said if, if anyone wants to do this much more on their own, they're welcome to. Um, but otherwise, you know, he was producing a kit. So I wrote to him and I said, you know, for what it's worth, I don't know, you know, if if, you, if everyone, if one comes along, if someone wants to sell theirs, if, if it ever comes back to life, you know, absolutely put me on some list. I I have to have one. And so I got email back from him a couple days ago. I mean, a couple days after that, that said,
0: well, um, Colleen has just come in to say, I want to build one. (laughs) I don't know why. You know, she she never would have seen anything like this. This is for her, this is like the dark ages of computers. Oh, but it's just such a slice of history. (laughs) She wants to do it.
1: Good. So, um, so. So he said, "There, I, we may have some news um, by the end of the year, if not sooner." And sure enough, somehow, see th- th- this chip—the the heart of this—is this this Harris, this HD sixty-one twenty. They haven't been making them for 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 fifteen years. I mean, it's been dis- its long since discontinued. Somehow, Bob got some more, oh. and there's been enough pressure on him to like bring this thing back to life. That for a limited time. It's going to come back to life. And I've told him I need three. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know why i mean two you know because it's going to go
0: away i want to never, do a beowulf cluster with my PDPAs. It's, it's, it's
1: never it's going to go away and it's never going to come back again i mean this is <laughs> no, never going true. to happen again because the when these chips are gone they're completely gone i would just now, buy
0: the front panel and hang it on the wall
1: here and well the well, oh leo you got to have the lights blinking oh yeah you're right and so what i'll do is i'll, I'll write a little program for you that makes you know blinky lights so it's 3 know, and it's 350 can,
0: it's, it's, bucks for the full kit. So that's that's the board, that's all the parts. You have to solder them though onto the board. Oh yeah, it's not for it's not for someone who's not comfortable building things,
1: you know, building electronics, but that does not include the front panel. The front panel, he's he he needs to see whether there's enough interest. At this point, he's got a Yahoo group. Uh I've got links on 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 our page, but he also down in the lower left hand corner of his page he talks about Yahoo groups. There's a spare time gizmos Yahoo group. I've joined the mailing list side. You can just send you know spare time gizmos hyphen subscribe at oh, yahoo.com I, have, I think I is have the one address. Of these. I got um, one of these. It looks like about fifteen people so far have said, oh, absolutely, I need a front panel. You know, I need three front panels because I want one for each of my my little boards. I would
0: like to automate my home using this device.
1: <laughs> well, it is expandable. It's got a bus on it, so you can do that. It's also got the IDE interface. And remember that IDE is the same as Compact Flash. Right. So you could just take a little one gig inexpensive Compact need. Flash yeah. and have non-volatile storage. Also, the other guys that have paved this road already, they've got... The various, all the deck software is in this format. OS8, which was the operating system for it, is there and running
0: on this. Would Would I need a paper tape loader or how would I get, I guess I could put it on the, on the compact flash. Yeah. Um, I haven't followed
1: through all the details. It has a serial interface also. So you you could also connect it to your PC or your Mac and then use a terminal emulator in order, in order to talk to it. Right. But one way or another, we'll, we'll you know we'll do this. So it, it runs OS8, you know, Focal Focal 69 was the formula calculator, was the language that the deck created back then for these machines, Jeez. and a whole bunch of stuff. And I mean, for, for anyone who is interested in like a chunk of history, no kidding, who who you know the idea of switches and lights on a real little computer, something very understandable. The the original books, the handbooks, are still available online. Um, everything has been scanned and has formally been released from copyright by deck. So you can get PDP. Uh, I mean, you, you you can get PDF files of, of all the documentation. It's just, and I, anyway, I just wanted to tell our listeners, I don't That's know how so many cool. old timers we've how, got. Did he
0: say how many people he'd need to get to, to order that front panel? He said a hundred, a hundred. And how would much him, would it be? Um, eh, I think it's going to be like $400 or 450 for just the panel for just the panel subsystem. So I'm not sure. Uh, so but, you're talking three fifty for the in the guts, and then and yeah. 750 bucks to build a computer that is essentially uh, dumber than my digital camera. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, I know it's nuts,
1: but but it, I, I, I want it. I understand it. You know, I'm I, I felt such a sense of loss when I thought I had missed the window that this had happened and it was never going to happen again. Now it is. So I, I wanted to take some time to tell our listeners uh, based on the reactions just in my own news group, because I told the GRC news group about this. There were a bunch of people like, oh, my God, I was, you know, that was the first
0: computer I encountered. Or we had one at work. Or just like you said, you had one at the radio station sure. that, that was, you know, still doing something. So well, we've got, uh, you know, we've got 75,000 people listening. I bet we could find 100 people listening who would want to build yeah. one of these. We'll all find right. out because, again, all the
1: links are there. Uh you can go to sparetimegizmos.com or or m- or Security Now's episode one seventy seven page that I've I've mentioned slash one seventy seven. I put a bunch of notes up there. You know, contact Bob, uh, join the Spare time Gizmos Yahoo group, so uh, send an email saying, "Hey, I'm on board. I want to do this," and we'll see how many people we get. What a hoot! It just is. It's a kick, and Leo, I could just see it on you know in the background there on. Well, the Well, that's shelf what I'm bar. thinking exactly. Having a I blink
0: there, right there, it's a piece of history. It's such a piece of history. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe we'll. Uh, Colleen really wants to build it. I, the problem is, it's a. It's one of those things that oh, I would love to do that, but it's just you know it's hours and hours and hours. Not merely oh, the I building, can, but and, understanding it and hooking it up, and it's a. It's a know, pr- I big can't commitment. It can't have any more fun. <laughs> Actually, I have to tell
1: you. Um, my, when, but when this happened, well, like when, when it, it turned out I could actually have a couple of the real antique PDP-8s and not even knowing that I'm going to be able to get one. I mean, definitely the boards are available. So, yeah. you know, there, there's a real piece of PDP-8 hardware. Um, my plan. Well, you've got a PDP. You've got a couple of them already. Yes. My, my plan, when the world has decided it no longer needs me, when it turns <laughs> me out to pasture... You know, in thirty years, you'll be the when dotty, I'm, I'm, the dotty old guy in the nursing home when I'm eighty-three. <laughs>
0: yes, can <made> work. <laughs>
1: um, my plan is to start from scratch and write everything for this the the, the PDP eight. An editor, an editor, oh <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've never taken an empty machine and created an entire environment: editor, assembler, compiler, operating system. Everything
0: that's what and, you know. Kernigan did with Unix. I mean, that's you. You sit there. Here's the hardware we need. You know everything, right? I mean, there right. is exist. You could use OS as you said, OS eight. But, but 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 I think fun. I mean, really oh. a fun project. And
1: I mean, it's not interesting to do it on an Intel chip. First of all, there isn't documentation for like oh, everything. I can't write from scratch a driver for my graphics card because right. you know you they just give you the drivers. And, 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 you know, it's, it's just, that does, it doesn't interest me. It's too easy to do that for a contemporary chip. But imagine, like, a real editor, a full-screen editor, a, an assembler, an operating system with for, for a chip with no XOR and no OR, where you have to do a combination of instructions to do that. I mean, no stack. It'd be a real—I t- mean, I'd be sitting there with a pencil, thinking, okay, how am I going to do this now on this thing? Anyway, I just think it would be really, really— fun puzzle for like, you know, they, I, I, I will, I'll, I'll have come full circle. The first machine I ever saw and the last machine I ever programmed, both a PDP eight.
0: <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So uh, it's all there. We have a uh, snip slash SN one seventy seven. You can go there. You get all the details and you see pictures of it immediately. I, I, I put a picture of this beautiful thing on, on our site and you can also see it on Bob's site at uh, SpareTimeGizmos.com. Yeah, before we get to the uh, capacitor story, I just want to mention a story that's uh, breaking now as we record. we record. We're recording this the last day of 2008. You're going to hear this the first day of 2009. Th- apparently, uh, uh, Zooms stopped working at midnight last night. And they're calling it Z2K. Oh, no. <laughs> Microsoft says, yeah, we know there's a problem. It's uh, apparently only affecting the 30 gigabyte zoons. I have a four gigabyte zone. It's not. But many of them just frozen up. Some people are reporting that popping the battery will, uh, will will and restoring the system essentially to earlier firmware. It's apparently a firmware issue. Uh, can you imagine uh, the nightmare that Microsoft first have got this red ring of death on Xboxes? Uh-oh. And now this, the zoom just stops working on December 30th, 2008. Unbelievable. Let's talk about capacitors. Yes. Okay. Um, I've sort of been
1: watching energy stuff for, sort of in the background for quite a while. I'm, I'm one of these people, I've read uh, a bunch of books about, you know, various topics surrounding this issue of peak oil. You know, are we going to get to a point where where oil availability is going to become a problem? And, you know, the I I don't I'm not an apocalypse guy. I don't think the end of the world is going to happen. Obviously, we're not going to suddenly run dry of oil. But the the earth originally had about two trillion barrels of oil and we've pulled about one trillion out of it, about half. Right. And and gets harder
0: and harder, of course, to get.
1: Yes. And we, well, we've got the easy, easy stuff. One trillion. You know, this all began when some farmer in Pennsylvania was pissed off because there was black goo coming up, you know, in the middle, it was like upsetting his crops. And uh, of course, you know, the rest is history. So, you know, until, until 1970, the U S was a net exporter of, Petroleum, i mean you know, the whole texas t you know right, i mean we got right. grasshoppers pumping on stuff over here in southern california even um but what happened was you know the us hit its its peak and and has been in in production declining ever since we still produce oil but you know we don't have enough you know to export to the rest of the world and of course saudi arabia is the famous producer now their fields are aging anyway the point is that long term um At some point, we're going to have a problem where we're no longer able to grow production, even though consumption is still growing and it is still growing. And now, you know, the worldwide economic slowdown that we're one year into in the U.S., I mean, that's certainly going to slow down demand. It has slowed down demand. And in fact, last summer's high prices slowed down um, driving a lot. And so demand got cut. So it's impossible to know when this is gonna happen. And when it does, it's not like the oil's gone. It's just like, wait a minute, now we'd like to have more than we're able to get. And so you can imagine, prices are gonna go up and probably stay up. They're not gonna be, you know, there's no way they're gonna go back down again uh, to the level that they have again. So this puts, this puts a lot of pressure on alternatives. Certainly we can get a lot more efficient. Cars can get much more fuel efficient. We've seen the hybrid model where it's a hybrid electric and gas. Um, There's wind and solar and so forth. But one of the problems with cars is batteries, because what what many people don't talk about is that the lithium ion battery packs that, for example, these these current hybrids have has a limited life. It lasts maybe three years and then it
0: needs to be replaced. It's also they're also very heavy. The Tesla has a thousand pounds of battery in it and they're cost about half the price of the car, Leo. Right. And And they're explosive (laughs) and and they take forever to
1: charge. They take forever to charge and they're toxic. I mean, lithium is not something that you want out in the environment. Lithium ion cells. I mean, and lead acid is the same way. All these battery technologies have, have serious downsides. Um, But, but, One of the things that I noticed was people are talking about, you know, if Detroit ever survives and gets its act together and is actually producing electric vehicles there, as I understand, they're talking about you buy the car and you lease the battery. That's how they're going to solve the problem of these things having limited life. But the lease charge is like two hundred dollars a month is the lease on the battery. But that way you don't own the battery. So you're not upset with the manufacturer when it really no longer gets you over to the market. Plus, any
0: they could force it to be recycled so, and so forth.
1: against this background, there's been operating in Cedar Park, Texas, some sort of a company under wraps of secrecy called E.E. E. Store, Inc. E.E. Um, e. Store, all that was known about them was that they had some
0: amazing Next generation energy storage technology. Now, this isn't Um, like those guys who claim I can run my car on a teaspoon of water, is it? Well, no. The reason I'm excited, the reason I'm taking our listeners' time with this
1: is, you know, I'm a double E. I'm, I, as I said, I was wiring electrical things before I was five years old. And it was all hardware until I switched over. In fact, when I was at Berkeley, people used to say, oh, are you hardware or software? It's like, you know, you couldn't be a hybrid. You're, you know, you were either a programmer or you were a nuts and bolts guy, but those people didn't know about computers and software and the software guys didn't know about the hardware. I had the advantage of sort of having come through both eras and, and was able to mix it, which actually is probably where Spinrite came from. But, but what excites me about this is that it makes sense. I, I once heard the notion of a super cap, a super capacitor. And I thought, wow, that's a, a neat idea. The idea of making a a a bigger capacitor, a capacitor that would store more energy. So you so, have to understand what a capacitor does for this to and be. And we're gonna talk about okay, that. Okay, okay. So so this 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 company no one really knew what they did. They were they there were some press releases. People I, I think knew that they were funded by Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyers. Oh. Well, Kleiner Perkins as they're known, is one of the more successful venture capital firms in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, for example, financed little companies called Google right. and Amazon and Netscape, Netscape and yeah. AOL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys tend to know what they're doing. Um, they, they, you know, they do make some wild bets, uh, but w- with potentially wild upside. So what happened, what finally brought this to my attention is on Tuesday, December 16th of this year, a few weeks ago, U.S. Patent 7466536 was granted. And as happens with a granted patent, the content of the patent is then put into the public domain. The inventors or their assignees have 17 years of exclusive rights to the intellectual property described in the patent. But part of the idea is, the idea is that, you know, other people can build on that. So it's made public. The title of the patent is, Utilization of polyethylene terephthalate plastic and composition-modified barium titanate powders in a matrix that allows polarization and the use of integrated circuit technologies for the production of lightweight ultra-high electrical energy storage units. Which is a mouthful. What these guys have succeeded in doing is using in, is integrated circuit production technologies and essentially nanotechnology to to revolutionize capacitors the, the the fabrication of capacitors okay now a capacitor in its simplest form is you can visualize it as two parallel plates that are 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 spaced close together that are connected, and there's a wire running from each plate off to somewhere else. the The characteristic is there is no there's no flow of current across the plates because they're separated. They're like by an insulator. The insulator is called a dielectric in the case of a capacitor. Um, but a an electrostatic field is created when when a a charge is placed on this that is to say if you were to hook this up this capacitor up to a battery like maybe through a light bulb or some resistance the 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 voltage in the battery would flow through the circuit essentially charging the capacitor so so the battery would give up some of its energy to this capacitor which stores the energy in the form of an electrostatic field between these plates. So the amount of capacitance is a function of the size of the plates, the bigger the plates, the more capacity in the capacitor and the proximity of the plates to each other. The closer together they are, the, the, the greater the capacity. Now, the, the, uh, a, the The amount of capacitance in a capacitor is measured in something called a farad, um, and the problem is a farad is impractically large. So all the capacitors I have in the garage, the capacitors we've got on our computers, they're microfarads. You might have twenty five microfarads, or a hundred microfarads, or maybe two fifty microfarads. That is to say, millionths of a farad, because the actual value of a of a farad re- represents so much capacity that you know no one's created capacitors for you know in high volume and practical applications that are that are many farad before. So, um, oh, oh, and these like, typical capacitors we have in our consumer electronics will maybe have like a twenty five volt rating, meaning that the way they're built, they have. For example, a hundred microfarads of capacity at twenty five volts. so you can you can put twenty five volts of charge on the capacitor, and that's all they that's all the manufacturer is guaranteeing them for. If you crank them up much above that, what voltage is, and to use a water analogy, uh, voltage is pressure. So you know current is the actual flow of electrons. Voltage is the pressure behind that flow, if any. You may not have any flow. You might just have pressure. Um, for example, if you were like holding a a, a a garden hose closed, you could feel the pressure even though there's no flow. Current is the actual flow of the water from the hose. So so you might be able to have 25 volts on this 25-volt capacitor. And I'm sure there's some some leeway, some headroom. But if you went, you know, way higher this thing would end up overheating because you would essentially the voltage would, would end up creating a, a stress in the capacitor that would cause a a a perforation through this dielectric, which is insulating the two sides of the capacitor. And if, if, if people are familiar with the way these things look, they typically look like little tanks. What they actually are typically is two pieces of long aluminum, um, Uh, strip which is then rolled up so and it's really it's interesting it's it's rolled up because then you get sort of the effect of interlacing plates if you don't have just two plates but if you roll those over on themselves then you have the electrostatic field sort of on both sides of alternating plates in order to form the capacitor okay so what these guys have done is they've they've been working in quiet in Cedar Park, Texas for for many years. They're about a year behind schedule, but little bits and pieces have been coming out. For example, Lockheed Martin, the largest aerospace contractor in the United States, has an exclusive contract with them now for military and aerospace applications. So, that sort of lends a little bit of credence to to what these guys are doing. Also, they're clearly Working in the right area because um, Georgia Tech um, has been working with the same, this barium titanium oxide, which is known as barium titanate, is the material used as the dielectric. it's 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 a nanoparticle fine powder that has extremely high breakdown voltage, and that's what you want. You want to be able to put as much voltage in a capacitor as possible. And the, the measure of energy that you can store in a capacitor is, it's, it's the capacitance, the, the, the capacity value, times the square of the voltage. So that's why the, the breakdown voltage being high is so important. The more voltage you can pressurize this capacitor with, the, the energy goes up by the square of that voltage pressure. So you want it to be as high as possible, okay? So, take an existing battery pack that's that's well known, like the Tesla Roadster. I know that you had a, someone on the show recently, Leo, who is a Tesla Roadster. Yeah, Jason
0: Calacanis. He's he, okay. lo- he
1: owns it and and loves it. And loves it. And for people who don't know, this thing is, um, it can do zero to sixty in what is it four seconds. Yeah.
0: I mean, just ridiculous. but this is typical of electric motors. They have huge torque.
1: Yes, and and so essentially, what happens is you are the the electric motor is is nearly a dead short. Right. I mean, its, it's own right. resistance is so low, right. and so you just you take this this huge lithium ion battery pack which has been charged up, and you dump its power as quickly as you can across this electric motor, and it just kicks you into literally into high gear.
0: Okay. The uh, Tony, uh, who edits the show, and uh, sitting in the other room, and is a fan buff as as is Colleen, a car buff as is Colleen, says you get maximum torque at one RPM. Wow! <laughs> so that's like right away, basically, right? Yes, instantly, <laughs> instantly. like from a dead stop. Yeah, amazing. Um, the Tesla Roadster
1: can go about two hundred forty miles on its battery pack, and it stores about fifty two kilowatt hours is the amount of storage, 52 kilowatt hours. So that's an, um, a kilowatt hour or a watt hour is a measure of, of energy because it's, it's, it's an amount of power times time. So it's like, for example, 52 kilowatt hours would be 52,000 watts for one hour or one watt 52,000 hours or any ratio in between. So, so it's a it, it's a measure of of energy storage. Well, the 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 patent is linked on the show notes page. I've, you know every detail. I think it's an eleven page patent that describes in detail the the manufacturing procedure and the composition of what these guys have done. They have created a essentially an ultracapacitor that is substantially. More dense than lithium ion in terms of its energy density, Um, it's it weighs less. It's about I think it's about half or a little less than half of the volume, yet stores the same amount of power. Um, um, They talk about this prototype being 300 pounds and occupying about 2.6 cubic feet and storing the same. 52 kilowatt hours of energy that the tesla roadster lithium ion pack does but because it's a capacitor it first of all has no toxic substances at all no hazardous material um you are if you have enough power
0: to charge it you can charge it in five or six seconds (laughs) there's an issue though that you can't plug it into your wall and charge it in five or six seconds correct you don't have enough juice what what this is this is a 31
1: farad <gasps> capacitor. Wow. 31 farad. Not microfarads. Right. So think of it what or What the heck? We, we if, if we if we put it in terms of microfarads, it would be 31 million microfarads. Jiminy.
0: And so we're talking we're talking three, a sig- I mean like many orders, a thousand orders of magnitude improvement here. Yes, thirty-one million
1: microfarads at a breakdown voltage of about five thousand volts. Wow! They run it at thirty-five hundred volts, so they have again got some headroom. But but so so remember that the energy storage is the it goes up with the square of the voltage. Right. So the key is to run these ultra capacitors if you want ultra capacitors for for energy storage you want they want to have the highest possible breakdown voltage but but we mentioned charging them up okay to charge this 31 million microfarad (laughs) capacitor or 31 farad capacitor up to 3500 volts and let's say we gave it five minutes. You need a power plant. <laughs> you, need, you need a nuclear power plant in your backyard. Well, three hundred and sixty amps.
0: Okay, and the typical uh, the typical house has what twenty?
1: Well, yeah, a, a, a
0: twenty, a, a fifteen or a twenty amp circuit. Right. And so, for example, that would take about thirty hours. Okay, but there are there are talks of like you could have a, another capacitor that you're trickle charging. Exactly. You would have one that sits there charging, like a reservoir. Well,
1: the cool thing is that you would charge this at night when right. the electric power rates are
0: lower. Yeah. So this you is actually to, something people talk about. If everybody bought Teslas, there'd be this sudden drain on the electricity. You need this kind of capability of spreading it out to non-peak hours. Well, and in fact, don't I think Tesla owners end up with like
1: specially wired circuits in order well, to charge their car? They don't
0: have to, car. but it's ha- it certainly beneficially charges faster that
1: way. Yeah. Right. So anyway. Um, I just, I wanted to bring this to people's, people's attention. This, this relates for, oh, also, they have cycled, and this is in the patent, they have cycled one of these. Uh, I, I should mention that the anyone who's interested can read the patent. It's actually made up of, of almost 32,000 small subunits. So, and it, it's through a, a, a integrated circuit style printing technology. Oh, interesting. So very, very cheap. It, Yes, and and, and mass producible yeah. is their goal. They were certified. how big are they
0: though? I mean, how how uh are they giant?
1: Well, no, I mean it's 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 like it's like a third the size of the equivalent lithium ion pack. Wow! So you could have two of these in 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 a Tesla Roadster and get five hundred miles. Wow! And as I understand it, I haven't done the math, but I think it's like at at twenty cents for kilowatt hour, um, it takes ten dollars to charge it up. <laughs> and, you and you go to s- you get two hundred forty miles out of Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. Well, the other thing that is interesting is now scale this down. This changes right. cell phones and laptops. Right. I mean, now you don't mind that the air, the the lap the Apple Air has a non-removable battery. It doesn't have a a chemical battery at all. It's got a super cap in it and you plug it into the wall count to 5 and pull it out. <laughs> yes. I mean it's the way it's the yeah. way it should be. And oh, what what I mentioned was in their in the lab they cycled their ultra cap, one of the smaller subcomponents because it's all built up out of uh, out of little cubes and they they have diagrams and show this in the patent. They've cycled it a million times and then wow. remeasured it for uh for for capacity and leakage and um, and various other physical properties, no change. So this stuff doesn't degrade. It never it doesn't degrades. doesn't wear out. There's nothing there to wear out, Leo. It's it's ceramic separating plates that have been printed. Well, this is huge. And bound together. That's why I'm so excited about it. Oh, and self-discharge. Self-discharge is a problem with all regular electrochemical batteries they tend, they normal leak. batteries yeah. will discharge like 10% per month, for right. example. Right.
0: This is 0.1% per month. So you could charge it up and a year later get in and it's all there. Yes. Wow. Yes. Now they have an exclusive deal with a company called Zen. Z e n. Yes, Zen is a Canadian car company, a
1: strange little car manufacturer. I, for the life of me, I don't know why they would sign an exclusive deal with anybody Zen gave them some money. Kleiner Perkins gave them $3 million. I mean, if I had $3 million, I would have given them $3 million. I mean, now
0: (laughs) you, this sounds like something that'd be worth investing in.
1: Yes. The problem
0: is though production,
1: they're not the only game in town. Okay. You know, I mentioned Georgia tech is working on this. Bassif has a patent on barium titanium oxide capacitors. So we know that, you know, and you cannot patent a capacitor so there may be other other useful ways to build an ultracapacitor what 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 has got me so animated is that here's one i mean this thing if you read the patent and you believe their claims they're in production soon and we're going to be seeing cars that have removed the problem of lithium ion battery packs No more it no longer Ah. dies after a few years. You you you, you, mean you can charge it as fast as your your electrical supply will because it'll just suck in energy at the maximum possible speed. And you can imagine why Lockheed Martin is interested too, because capacitors will give up all their charge immediately. So you could imagine some sort of space based Lord knows what charging with solar cells and just waiting to to dump the ultra capacitors into some sort of beam weapon and just punch a hole in whatever it's aimed at. This is amazing. It is really cool technology. And it also is important for solar and wind because the problem with, 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 you know, solar and wind is that they're non-uniform. You only get solar power when the sun's shining on it. You only get wind when the wind is spinning the turbine. And so you want some way, some, some economical means Of storing that power for use when you don't have, you know, uh, raw input coming in. And the problem is lithium ion cells have all
0: the downsides to them. Ultra capacitors have none of them. Now, we should point out that this is just a patent. They haven't shown they can produce this thing. They actually haven't even tested it. I mean, the patent office doesn't verify the claims. Right. They can claim anything they want to. Yeah. Um, Zen believes that they'll be producing a car this year based on this. Right. Right. I would buy that car in a minute. You know, there's a Zen dealer down the street from here. No kidding. Yeah. In Petaluma. Cool. Uh, I would so, buy that car in a heartbeat. You know, my feeling is
1: this is the future. The, I mean, I'm, I I I read an article a couple of weeks ago saying that I think it was Toyota was going to build a lithium ion battery plant in the United States. And I'm thinking, stop. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. Build an ultra capacitor plant. I mean, it is
0: so clearly the right solution. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I tell you, I mean uh, what I could see people doing is generating uh, solar electricity and now you have a very efficient storage medium for that. Uh yep. really could change everything. I mean Well, and in fact, I was
1: talking to Mark Thompson, my buddy in Phoenix, he was talking about in regions where the daytime power cost is so much higher right. than the nighttime, Smooth you can out. imagine you can imagine people getting an ultra capacitor right. and store, you know, charging it up at night and then using the power during the day in order to which the power companies would love because sure. they have a hard time delivering power at, at right. peak demand.
0: They'd like to spread it out themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure when the first person said, I've got this thing called a microprocessor that people laughed and scoffed. And some people, maybe somebody like Steve Gibson said, that's going to change everything. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, on that order of magnitude. And boy, I, I, do I hope it's real. Uh, that's exciting. That's well, really exciting.
1: The, 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 these guys who founded the place are from IBM, uh, a senior manager of disk storage technology and Xerox Park. Okay. I mean, these are not, you know, fly-by-night uh, con artist people. And Kleiner Perkins is, you know, is not known for wasting their money. Yeah. It's, pre- it's pretty so, credible. I just I I was such a cool thing. The patent was just granted. All the details are there linked from our show notes for this episode. I just wanted to to cue our listeners in and uh, and let them know that this had happened, because I think it's uh, potentially big news. Very exciting.
0: Steve Gibson, you as always bring us great stuff, normally security stuff. But today, two very interesting stories uh, that don't have a security uh, angle on it. Next week, we'll go back to doing our Q&A, our regular QA. We'll go back to our our original phase. And uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can go to GRC.com and get all the information. Steve's made a special SNP URL for you, SNPURL.com slash SN177. That's the number of this show. Uh, but Or just go to GRC.com slash security now and you'll find it there. Uh, you'll also find 16 kilobit versions of the show if you want to share this with somebody else. Our special two-hour 2009 edition. You can also uh, get show notes there, uh, transcriptions if you'd like to read along. And uh, Steve's great stuff, including Spinwright. You didn't do a write letter today, were you? I didn't.
1: I have one right here in front of me from You're... Officer Greg. I'd like to hear it. Officer <laughs> Greg. All right, well, I got a kick out of it. Uh, he titled it, uh, Spinwright Beats the Police. And he said, Greetings, Steve. I just wanted to share my recent experience with Spinwright with you. I am a police investigator for a medium-sized metropolitan police department in Southern California. So somewhere down here in my neck of the woods, he said, my partner, Detective Rick and I are both avid photographers. and You'll relate to this, Leo. He says in our off time and both exclusively shoot high megapixel digital SLR cameras. Since convincing him to make the digital SLR switch, I've stressed the importance of backing up his image storage drives. He has always assured me that he was. Turns out he was just telling me he was backing up to get me <laughs> get him get off, me his, off back. his back. Oh, that's terrible. Ooh. So he says, a few weeks ago, the inevitable happened. His hard drive crashed. Thousands of images were lost. Detective Rick was devastated and his wife was po'd. He said, I immediately volunteered to try to save the drive for him using Spinrite. Unfortunately, Detective Rick didn't believe that a single program could help. Instead, he took the hard drive to our local computer forensic evidence experts. After two days, our forensic investigator only managed to recover a few files and declared the drive dead. Oh, Convinced he, hadn't, he now had nothing left to lose, Detective Rick turned the drive over to me. I took the drive home and let Spinrite have a go. Two weeks later, Spinrite finished its run. I took the drive back to Detective Rick along with all of his image files. He promptly moved the data over to two new drives. Now he's a firm believer in backups. And bought my, uh, uh, and so he says, he moved the the data over to two new drives and bought my lunches and says, and now he's a firm believer, backups, close friends and bought my lunches for the next week. Our computer forensic unit, after seeing the results, plans on purchasing a copy for their toolkit. I run Spinrite on all my drives quarterly for maintenance and proselytize its virtues to all that I can. Thank you for providing a great program, and keep up the
0: good works. Once again, Spinrite saves the day. Officer Gray. <laughs> I love the variety of people who use SpinRight. It's, really, yeah. it's really neat. That's wonderful. SpinRight is available. GRC.com. That's the place to go. The Gibson Research Corporation. And uh, lots of other great free stuff there, too. So try out some of his free, uh, free stuff. Steve, Happy New Year. Happy 2009. Our first show of the new year completed. Yep, we've got a ton of Q and A stuff built up from our weeks
1: of, uh, of pre-recording. So we will be back doing Q and A next week for uh, Q and A number fifty-seven, episode one seventy-eight. And uh, I will say again, uh, anyone who thinks they're interested in this PDP eight opportunity, it, it is truly once in a lifetime. Uh, Bob, I'm I'm glad he may he's willing to do this again. It's only enabled by him having a bunch of these Harris uh, HD6120 chips. Uh, You can get the PDF for the chip itself and and take a look at the chip and the instruction set and all that on his site.
0: Um, And I think a bunch of us are going to have PDP-8s, which is going to be very cool. Very cool indeed. Thank you, Steve. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week on Security Now. Security Now.